Today on My Matters, there are so many epidemics going around, and loneliness is a major one. Never before have we been around so many people and bombarded by social media messages and noise, and yet we feel alone in a crowded room. Dr. Mark Mayfield writes, We have lost the art of connection and relationship. Hi, everyone. It's Richard Beatty, and Rita Schulte, counselor and author, is here with me. And today, we have a special guest, Dr. Mark Mayfield. It is a terrible thing to waste. You cannot define yourself in reference to other external coordinates. You must define yourself internally with your relationship with a higher entity. Stop it! S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. This week on Mind Matters, it's time to turn down the noise and listen to what really matters. Join counselor and author Rita Schulte and me, Richard Beatty, in renewing your mind, because your mind matters. So come on in and join us. Well, Rita Schulte, we have Dr. Mark Mayfield on Mind Matters today. Tell us who he is and what listeners can expect from this show. You know, Richard, many of us have a loved one or a friend who struggles with addiction, mental illness, suicidal thoughts, or self-injury. And chances are that this stems from this whole epidemic we're talking about today, loneliness. And clinically, that can be a huge problem. Perhaps you're feeling depressed or anxious, struggling with a compulsive behavior, or maybe simply questioning whether you're fully seen, loved, and valued. The culprit could well be that you're lonely. Dr. Mark Mayfield understands the crisis well, as it led him to make an attempt to take his own life as a teenager. As a board-certified counselor, he has built a reputable counseling practice on the forefront of brain science and attachment therapies, dedicating his life to helping adults and adolescents confront their feelings of isolation and alienation. He's relied upon by new and experienced counselors for training, and he's become an anchor and a guide for community leaders, educators, and faith leaders. Dr. Mayfield, welcome to Mind Matters. Okay, Mark, let's start out by defining loneliness. What does it mean to feel lonely? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think a a lot of times we... um, I'm really big on definitions because if we don't have definitions, we don't really have then language to communicate what's going on. And so, uh, everybody's definition might be different, but mine's going to be very standardized. And so I say loneliness is the state of being unseen or unnoticed, uh, relationally, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Uh, and a lot of times it's drive driven by a lack of purpose or meaning. Um, and it's driven by a lack of relationships and it's driven by a lack of identity. Um, but really the key, I think, for loneliness is it's, 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 I think, marked or enshrouded, if you want, uh, by hopelessness. Uh, mm. there's, there's no, at least in the mindset that we're in in that moment, there's no, or in those moments, there's no way forward, or at least we can't see a way forward. So, uh, well, yeah, loneliness is a big, uh, 
big correlation with loneliness and suicide, you know, with some mm-hmm. of the models I teach. But the definition I got here, loneliness means experiencing unpleasant emotions. And so I think that's important when we look at the body piece, you mm-hmm. know, anxiety, sadness, all that, you know, anxious distress, because we know the body keeps score. We hold it there due to perceived social isolation, lack of intimacy and close relationships. To feel lonely is to experience a sense of being painfully disconnected, left out isolated and this is the important piece especially in the suicide models with no one to turn to for emotional mm-hmm. support so that just not doesn't mean well i'm having kind of a rough week you know i haven't connected with anybody this is like i got nobody to turn to yeah well and that's the thing i think we need to make a, a clear distinction is i think when we get to a place of loneliness like this uh we may not seem we don't, we may not think we have anybody. We may have people, but are, we're, we're so blinded by our hopelessness in those moments yeah. that we don't, uh, don't see the people that we do have, or we don't know how to, or feel like we can turn to, which is where the isolation piece really, uh, takes hold. It's that lie that, that we have no one to turn to, but it's interesting, right? I mean, I, I think the recent survey, most recent survey said that 36 to 42% of people uh, it, it didn't have anybody they could turn to or feel like they had anybody they can turn to, which is that, just astounding. I do feel like, oh, and, and you know this from a, so, from a neuroscience standpoint, the use it or lose it principle, I do feel like we have lost the ability or that muscle uh, in a, you know, the neural pathway uh, to connect. Uh, and I think it's, it was exacerbated by uh, COVID and the lockdowns and, and the social isolation, but I think it was there before due to uh screen time social media uh tribalism in our culture you me you versus me us versus them like everything you know has has exacerbated this but you know it seems like an obvious question and you know i was saying your your next book should be blame it on covid right because everything's blamed on covid (laughs) it seems like now uh but um this seems like an obvious question. What what comes first? Uh, does it is loneliness and boredom, or or does the self destructive behavior come first? And and that's quickly okay. can one develop healthy habits uh, that move one from isolation to connection? Yes, great question. And I am a firm believer a believer that it's uh, three cycles of thirty days. So 90 days to make a new habit, new neural pathway. Right. And so, um, I love the three cycles of 30 days cause it gives people little, little, uh, little way, you know, wayfair points or little points to be able to go, okay, I made it for the, you know, through the first, <laughs> let's adjust, let's get to the next 30. Yeah. Uh, but we know that a neural neural pathway is, is pretty, pretty well laid down after 90 days. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, and we'll talk about those ones that you suggest in the book, but I want to switch gears and okay. So you wrote this book on loneliness and I'm curious when we put our hearts into a book, I mean, I've written four and with something like this, there has to be a story behind it. Oh, was there yes. an experience that you had with loneliness or being invisible uh, that kind of led you on this path, uh, you know, earlier on in your life? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great question. I um was very much uh, a, a different child in the sense that I was very sensitive, uh, uh, very uh, uh, easily overwhelmed. Um, and so growing up, didn't have any any words to put to that or any way to express that. Get to middle school and what do, what do kids do with uh, uh, you know, other kids or kids that are different? You know, it's pick it's, on uh, them. 
yeah, chastised, bullied. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm working on some stuff right now where I want to change how we talk about bullying and it's actually abuse, right? I mean, it's trauma, uh, whether it be words, whether it be a physical, uh, uh mine was physical and uh, verbal, uh, and emotional, uh, and psychological and, um, middle school. So 12th, sixth grade, 12 years old. Um, you know, I, I, uh, was ostracized. It was a Christian school too, which I thought was very interesting with hindsight, you know, uh, wow. yeah. very much beat up, bullied, thrown in lockers, uh, swirlies, trash can tripped, you know, punched. Did the Always... staff know of the school? Was... Did they see that or no? Well, uh, no, cause the kids got really good at doing it in the, you know, in a hallway or when nobody was watching and that kind of stuff. Um, but I didn't have any words, right? We know when, when trauma happens, we, our Barocas region shuts down. So we don't, I don't have any, I didn't have any words, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so I, I became a psychosomatic, uh, uh, response and I created, I had this migraine headache for about six, seven months, uh, that started in January of that year. And so my parents doing the, what they knew best was doctors and neuro, you know, uh, neurologists and spinal taps, blood draws, EKGs, all this kind of stuff to go. What's the root of this you know, debilitating? Like I wouldn't, I couldn't go to school headache. Um, and Any other lot. symptoms, Mark, that that people might yeah. experience that are listening that, you know, I mean, that was yeah. yours. But what other. So, again, the body's real important. What are we looking yeah. for here? I mean, it could be anything from, you know, uh, muscle spasms in the shoulders to headaches to, um, you know, mine also was was uh, stomach aches, couldn't eat, you know, throwing up, um, you know, real high now knowing real high anxiety. Right. But then it was I'm always sick. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and, I, and I think in some ways those are very typical in people that struggle with with that level of, of anxiety. Um, but uh, got to a point where I'm like, I can't. Nobody gets me. I don't know how to explain this. You know, school's not a safe place. As best as my parents could, my home was a safe place, but it was still not a, a free place to express my emotions. Did they know? Did you tell your parents that you were being? I could, no, I mean, I didn't know how. Uh, my dad was the actual the pr- superintendent <laughs> of the school, uh, oh the principal, my gosh. you know, or the the head honcho of the Christian school. Um, and you know, now we have a good relationship. Now we're able to talk through all that kind of stuff. And he was like, "Man, if I I'd have known, I'd have done this, this." I'm like, "I know you would have, like now, but I you know didn't know you know 30 years ago uh, what that looked like." But um, got to a place where I just wanted the pain to go away, and so I uh, ended up uh, attempting to take my life when I in the April of that year. Uh, and, uh, the praise the Lord, the method I chose was not going to be lethal in that moment. It could have really messed my liver up and by the grace of God, you know, that didn't ha- that didn't happen, but rushed to the hospital, stomach pumped because it had interacted with other medications I was taking. And, um, you know, the, the neurologist was a Christian. And in that moment looked at my dad and said, Hey, uh, this is not physical. This is psychological. And here's a, a friend of mine, Christian counselor. Why don't you go? Uh, talk with them and uh, began kind of digging ourselves, digging myself out of that hole uh, with the help of a Christian counselor. And my dad, uh, you know, made some significant changes in the, that those three, four months. Uh, wow. But, so, okay. Um, so tell us uh, what was, you know, like takeaways from the counseling process. What really helped you? Cause I'm sure there's somebody out there listening mm-hmm. That's like, oh, I had a horrible counseling experience. I don't want to take my kid to a counselor. Sure. I don't want to go to a counselor. What, what do you think really, you know, made the turn for you? But move the needle. What helped? Well, I think two things. One, somebody that listened. 
and was helping draw out my story. Mm. Right. And this guy didn't come with a pompous arrogance. There was no, like, I know how to fix you. It was a, Hey, I see you and I see you're hurting and, and let's, let's make sense of it. So he, he helped me put words to things. Uh, but he helped me learn to manage my anxiety in a way, at least, you know, not be labeled by it, not be crippled by it, but to go, this is what it is. And let's take some baby steps. And so I still remember that. I talked to my clients about that too. Like, what are the baby steps? What are the things that I could accomplish, uh, you know, in the next week? Like he was, he broke it down so small that it was, you know, week to week. What are these baby steps? He, you know, and, and let's get to next week and then let's build upon that. And it was, um, maintain and, and maintaining and maintainable and achievable for me. It was something that was, but I think the biggest piece was that somebody just slowed down and listened. Yeah. yeah. You know, so you I, felt, you felt known. You, you yeah. began oh, to gosh. felt began. known and yeah. seen. Yeah. And the other thing I think that happens with folks is that, you know, these things are so unpleasant, the feelings and sensations that go along with, you know, this type of thing that leads someone to a place where you were at such a young age they're so unmanageable. They're so unpleasant. And so having a plan, which, okay, mm -hmm. now you enter into this therapy. So there's a plan now. And when there's some kind of plan, I think a person can manage the unpleasantness because it's not so unmanageable. It becomes unpleasant, but manageable for a time. Right. Well, yeah. and, that, and that's why I always tell people uh, that I've worked. So, you know, I mean, my last 15 years of working, uh, well, 20, if we count me being a pastor, like, has been working with families with kids like me, mm. right? I mean, that's why we get into this work. Um, but it's, it's helping people understand that we can hold in the same hand hard and good, mm. you know, the, the tension of it. And I think we as a society just try to flee or man, you know, mask or numb anything that feels uncomfortable. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like the greatest learning opportunities happen in that, but let, don't do it yourself, right? I think that's where we we fail, and we we uh, stay stuck in our cycles. Is that we try to do it by ourselves, you know, versus the community aspect, the 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 connection, camaraderie yeah. aspect of helping getting help. Yeah, I call it alongside. You know, mm -hmm. we need mm -hmm. we need significant others to walk alongside. Mm -hmm. But those are great points, and um, yeah, I think once something can become a little more manageable for us, that gives us hope. Because you mm -hmm. started out saying like this leads people to this sense of hopelessness. That's right. that's what why people are taking their lives today. Right. Mm -hmm. So. Richard, anything from you? Well, yes, uh, I, I I also wanted to talk about the community, uh, you know, the biblical notion as God creates man is um, is that. It's not good to be. Uh, it's not good for man to be alone. Is that the general idea about community? That's uh, that's why why God invented community as well. Oh, I mean, absolutely. And, and I think to take it even one step further, and, it, and this is something we found out in the last twenty twenty five years, is that there's actually a physiological, a neurophysiological, and a cardio cardiovascular uh, uh, effect hmm. on us. Uh, when we are in a safe, trusting, valuable relationship. Like I, I, uh, I speak on this quite a bit that, uh, I kind of throw out a, a, uh, hypothesis. There's not backed by science, but just a hypothesis. We take a look at the leading killers in the United States, cardiovascular cancer, mm. uh, kidney failure, you know, kidney disease, all these kind of things. 
And if you look at it, it's a quality of life disease. Right. And, you know, part of that is relationships. You know, I, I really firmly believe that the quality of our relationships directly affects the quality of our physiological, neurophysiological health. And so God didn't do that on accident, right? It was right, on purpose. Right. And so to, you know, I, I really feel like science is finally catching up to the Bible mm-hmm. in that, in that area. And we have proof now that, that, that relationships, safe and trusting, valuable relationships being seen, valued, known, loved, uh, will create longevity. Yeah. Research is pretty robust on that. Really. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, loneliness is deadly for the elderly. We've kind of mm-hmm. known that, right. but what we're seeing so much of today is adolescence. I mean, when 10 to 34 year olds are taking their lives and suicide is the second leading cause of death in that population, mm-hmm. we got a real problem. Well, and I think I, you know, uh, I'm talking with one of my dear friends the other day about this as well. And if we were actually to record the record deaths uh, as they were or as they are, accidental overdoses, uh, ac- you know, uh, purposeful ac- car accidents, people actually coming off their life uh, protecting medications, mm. you know, there's a lot of passive suicides that are not recorded as pass- as suicide. We were saying there's something like 700 to 800,000 people a year dying. Right. Uh, by intentional or, un, you know, inten- or passive or active suicide. Huh. And that makes it the second leading cause of death, not the, the 12th. Wow. Yeah. Cause we don't even, we don't even have record on a lot of those things. Well, when you, and, and you get into the thing as far as, uh, you know, the enemy's greatest lie is that you're alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, yeah. You're alone. Uh, you, there's nobody out there that, uh, that really cares about you. Uh, and, uh, and that is a, that is a big lie. And how do you mm-hmm. recognize that? Or how do you get, um, your patients or, uh, or, or people listening that, hey, you aren't alone? How do, how do you get people to know that? Because if they don't know where to get help, uh, they do feel alone. They do. I, I think it comes to a, a state, the stage of change that they're in. Are they, are, you know, is the current distress that they are in greater than the possible tension and fear of moving forward? Mm. You know, and if it, if it is, you know, if they are staying in that fear of, of moving forward, they're going to stay stuck because this, you know, staying stuck is more comfortable, even though it doesn't make any sense. Um, it's familiar. It's familiar to the outside person. Doesn't make sense to the person going through. It makes complete sense. Um, so I think it's a stage of change, but I always tell people, you look at through scripture when Jesus met with somebody that was struggling, you know, you look through scripture and you, he asks them to look up. You know, and, and they, they, they connect, they have that eye, that eye contact, Mary Magdala, you look at Zacchaeus, you look at, you know, all, all these individuals that right. were uh, walking away and he tells them to stop and turn around and look at, and I think a lot of times we just need to found, find, you know, have people around us that can help us lift our heads up. And I think sometimes we can't do that on our own. Right. I, I think to be honest, in the midst of it, like, I think sometimes if we don't have a, a, a person that's with in our life that, that understands, they're going to get frustrated. You know, why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? You should you know, just fix it. But in the midst of it, we need somebody that can help lift our heads up. And then once we do and we make eye contact uh, uh, with the, the maker, 
uh, in a way that is life-giving versus our circumstances, that's when it begins to change. But uh, we can't do it on our own. Well, I, you know, that's really powerful. While you're talking, I was thinking about, you know, my own trauma with, uh, you know, losing my husband to suicide. And I can remember when I would get in those states of, you know, post-traumatic stress, intense hyperarousal, but then the dissociative place where, you know, there's just kind of nobody home. I just mm-hmm. total shut down. And I remember a dear friend of mine who's also a great therapist. She came to my house and she actually showed my loved ones, the people that were, you know, staying with me in my world, a couple of really key things. And eye contact was one. And so I can remember one one afternoon when I was totally not present, had flipped out prior to that. And I had my daughter like close in, put her hands on my cheeks and make really close eye contact and mm-hmm. do exactly what you're saying, like being the hands and feet of Christ. Mm-hmm. But having those people alongside was critical mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, the healing. So yeah. you're spot on with that. And the gate, you know, looking up, I mean, and who's our ultimate attachment figure? Right. It's Jesus. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's why. I- you know, I, I get that there might be people listening going, I don't have anybody like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, okay, well then go walk, you know, you know, find a, a church that, that is mentally and emotionally health aware. We can help, you know, obviously AACC can help with that. I'm sure you've got resources, all yep. that kind of stuff. Right. Um, or go, go find a good counselor and, and look at finding, how do you find a good counselor? Cause that might be your stopgap right now right. until you can begin to build a community. But you know, my big, heart is for those that are listening that have a loved one that is struggling. Like this this is your time to step up, right? Uh, right? Step in. Yeah. The other thing I do is uh, an exercise that I teach that I loved and it was absolutely transformative for me. God used it in a powerful way in an EMDR session. It's called a remembered resource. Mm. Yeah. You're shaking your head, you know? So for folks listening, um, you can think of, if you feel like I got nobody, oh, my mom was my best friend and she's, she's passed away or whomever it is. It can be a parent, a loved one, uh, a deceased person. It can be the Holy spirit. It can be your counselor's voice, whoever knew you intimately and you knew them intimately. Imagine that person and you're having a mini conversation with that person in the moment about whatever's tearing at your soul. Mm -hmm. And what would that person say to you? What would they want you to know? And that can really, that can really shift states. I mean, it it was just an incredible, it's an incredible exercise to use because guess what? We've always got the Holy spirit with us. Mm -hmm. We just got to slow down to listen. There you go. Got to slow it down. That's true. We do need to slow it down, but we actually have to speed it up because we're at the end of our time today. We're going to have Dr. Mark Mayfield on the uh, second show next week, uh, and uh, I hope you tune in for that. Uh, We just thank uh, Rita Schulte and Mark Mayfield uh, for coming on today. Mind Matters is a Crawford original radio program produced by Sound Century Presents. For more information, go to RitaSchulte.com, that's S-C-H-U-L-T-E, and also to get a copy of this show, you can uh, go to that website, and it will be there for you. So, uh, so yes, thank you for listening. We'd like, love to know what you think, so please uh, drop Rita a line. But before we go, we want to end with a very good minute. Think this... 
not that. What were you thinking? That's the question people ask me when I think that, not this. That's kind of where toxic thoughts can fester. How do you train your brain to eliminate the lies you hear in your own mind? Well, you get a thought that's gnawing at your soul. You need to have a thought ready that resounds over the toxic thought because it's the thought that's tripping you up. So think this. Not that. (laughs) Easier said than done. So do you think that a minute a day can keep the dark thoughts away? It's a better start than the downward spiral, but it takes intentional, deliberate practice. So when I think people are out to get me? When you think that, think this. Do I have any evidence to support the belief that all people are out to get me? Think this, not that. I'm Richard Beatty with counselor and author Rita Schulte. Each week, we give you a minute exercise that can renew your mind into a different way of thinking. It's a thought process that's like a rubber band that you snap to remind you to think this, not that. Ow! Think this, not that. A feature of Mind Matters at RitaSchulte.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, We will be back with Dr. Mayfield next week. For more renewable resources, go to RitaSchulte.com. That's S-C-H-U-L-T-E. Rita has a new website, and it's uh, it's really good. Uh, It's got a lot of uh, great information. Uh, You can get a copy of the podcast. You could even get on the mailing list for Rita Schulte. And uh, you can also... Buy a copy of Rita's books, uh, and uh, that that's a great, including Think This, Not That, which we're uh, doing that radio feature uh, as well. So uh, we will talk to you next week, and uh, thanks, uh, and remember that your mind matters. Dear Santa, I know you're busy, but it's time. We need businesses in Canyon City, Florence, Penrose, Cotopaxi, and Westcliff to be drop-off stations. Christmas Forgiving is in its fourth year of service. Would you please let people know we need gift wrappers and Christmas present delivery drivers on December 23rd? I'm sending this to 200 South 5th Street, Canyon City, Colorado. I know that each child who sends a letter will get a personal reply back from you. My wife wants to know, will I, as a grandpa, receive a reply? I'm 64, and I have included my phone number and address. I'm a boy, grandma's a girl, and while you're at it, could I nominate a neighbor for a Christmas dinner, gift cards, and a basket? Happy Christmas, Richard Beatty. Celebrate Christmas in a new way. Join us at Christmas Forgiving. So many ways to get involved. Every child will receive their very own stocking filled with goodies and one wrapped gift. Know a child in need? Call 719-360-9150 or send the child's name, address, age, clothes size, and interest to Christmas Forgiving at gmail.com. <laughs>